Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to continue with this prayer, which I pray and believe that these lookings at these requests that Jesus led us through will revolutionize how we pray. And let let me read what we've done and where we're at. He said, after this fashion, after this manner you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's where we've come to. And, of course, it does not stand alone. Uh, It stands in context with everything that I've just read. So when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we have very much to the forefront of our mind the fact that he is our Father in heaven, that in asking this we are hallowing his name and we are praying that this will be part of your kingdom come and certainly of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all of a piece, you see. You can't separate it off. And so give us this day our daily bread. Now what what is it really saying? Uh, And and, uh, it's not too mysterious. It is obviously, and and I think everybody agrees, that it, it means give us this day the bread, the sustenance, the nurturing of our creature bodies. Give us this day our daily bread, our food, our drink. Um, But also, you cannot read that without bringing in uh, the, the entirety of our physical material world. Because if I'm going to have food enough and drink, then uh, we are talking about the money to buy it. And so th- there's money in this request. You can't escape it. And also, then where do you get the money? And so work a- and my job, well, the-, the way I receive income, that's in this verse too. I'm praying about that when I pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's there, the physical, you see. And, of course, uh, what would food be if if I slept on the open ground in the frost of the night? No, there's shelter here. That's part of my sustenance. That's part of my nurturing. And and so it it includes the the paycheck or however my money comes. It, It includes my job. It includes the shelter. 
in which shelter I eat the food that I'm asking that Father provides. It's all there. And of course, I, I don't eat naked. No, we, we have clothes. It's part of our nurturing. It's part of uh, all that goes with the sustenance that I need to maintain my physical, creaturely life. And, <clears throat> of course, then, a part of you can't talk about daily bread without talking about health, talking about the, the health with which to enjoy it and the health that comes from it. And you get what I'm saying? When I come to this request, even though it is but a sentence in the prayer, and yet it, the, the request is in that sense a doorway that leads me into my entire physical, material existence. Now, that's quite radical among many believers today. Uh, and I'm not going to go into it except in case you're listening. Um, you cannot pray this prayer with the enthusiasm and excitement that this prayer portrays prayer as you cannot pray it if you have the secret feeling that God really wants you in poverty, that God really wants you on the edge of starvation, if not actually in it for a while. You cannot pray this prayer if you believe that looking shabby and dressing in thrift store clothes is going to be your holiness. Do you understand? I have met too many people who believe that sort of thing, that holiness and, and being God's special people is equated with poverty, starvation, shabby clothes with holes and rents in it, and, and maybe no shoes. That's probably the icing on the cake of holiness. No. Will you name that for what it is? Damnable heresy that arose in the second century and twisted and warped the church to such a degree that its vile thinking is still with us today. Well, I got that off my chest. Okay. You see, I, I've said this because it comes in here all over the place. The love that God has toward you is holistic love. Please understand that. We've got this idea that the love of God is somehow for my spirit, whatever that means. It is a love that will get me to heaven when I die. But in between times, well, love is just sort of a vague cloud blob out in the ether. No, let me say this again, that, and this request of all requests underscores this fact, that the love of God is toward me, yes, in my innermost being, my essence, of course, but he loves me in my mind. He loves me where my thoughts occur. He loves me in my emotions and all that goes with that. He doesn't leave me to 
wade through confusion of mind and darkness of emotions. No, the love of God is known there, and He loves me in my body. Loves me in my body. And part of the very word salvation in its meaning in, in the both Testaments, the meaning of the word salvation includes physical, mental, emotional, spiritual deliverance. And that's why the word healing in the New Testament so often is actually the word to save. Save your soul. No, you, you are saved. You in your body. And this request is underscoring that. It says that, that God loves you at your physical, physical level. But his kindness, his covenant, strong love, his faithfulness, his compassion toward you, his almighty power through the Holy Spirit, his limitless wisdom, all of this is demonstrated at a physical level. Do, do you understand me? I, I, I don't want to labor this, but I know so many. So many think about those words I've just said as belonging somehow to our spiritual thoughts. The stuff that happens on a Sunday morning in a special place. And as soon as I get outside, we're back to normal now, and there's a disconnect. We cannot think of the loving kindness of God in the same breath as roast beef and potatoes. But this verse does. This request is saying that. That I can't think of the faithfulness of a covenant God in the same breath as new shoes for my children. And I know some people will be shocked when I say that when I think of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the bloodshedding of Jesus, the making of the new covenant, and his resurrection from the dead that is tied in with our physicality, it's tied in with our living in a material world. And his love made manifest there. So that stuff that happens in our material lives, that the world of our dinner table, our breakfast table, the, the world of our wardrobe, the clothes we wear, the world of going to a realtor and buying a house and living there or renting a house, and the, the world of my shoes. <laughs> That's all included into the new covenant. And that, all those words I've just said, that's where the Holy Spirit now lives. And in that world to demonstrate Jesus Christ alive and the new covenant in action. Heaven dynamically, dynamically present in the earth through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We just got there, didn't we? Your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Well, now we're getting really down to brass tacks. This is it. This is it. Love, divine love, God love, released into the challenges that we face in the material, physical world of our daily grind. The love of God 
released into all the opportunities that we have in our daily work, in our universities, school, whatever we're doing. This is Otherwise, you see, you have a faith that is totally disconnected. You, you have a faith in a God that isn't here. You have a God that, that, that you know, he lives 10 miles above the earth. And, and so it's totally useless when it comes to this. You're on your own, chap. You're going to worry yourself to death because God doesn't care. I, I've heard that preached, basically. No, that's damnable heresy. He said, you pray, you ask the Father, give, give us this day our daily bread. This request arises from our Abba, our Daddy, who is in heaven, which of course, as we've seen, says something about me, that if he's my Daddy, my Father, then I am child. I am child of God. And First John says it so plainly that it's radically shocking that he says we have the very sperma, we have the genes of God in our very spirit through that finished work of Jesus. So d did you notice here it says give? Did you notice that? The, the others don't, you see. It says your kingdom come, your will be done. You could almost say... In, in an understood fashion, it's saying, make your kingdom come, make your will be done. But when it comes to this, give us, or you could use there the word provide, it's got the same idea, um, a gift, but a gift that is given, what shall I say, with, with responsibility attached. You see, if, if he is our Abba, if he's Abba, if I am child, then uh, I say this very carefully, but it's rooted in Scripture that he has taken responsibility for us, even as a father does for his children. So this is understood. Give us this day our daily bread. We're understanding, Father, you... you we're your children. You have responsibility for us. And you have taken, love has taken that responsibility. And so, would you give us? Would you give us, you see? There's no whining, no begging, no hand-wringing, none of that religious nonsense. You're looking Abba straight in the eye and saying, because you love us, because you're Abba, because that's who you are, give us this day your daily bread. Well, now that's interesting. Our Father who is in heaven. That means that give us this day our daily bread. The answer to that request is going to be in accord with, it's going to look like Father. Do you, do you understand me? A, a, a true gift is in accord with the giver. Do you follow me? Uh, he is love. He is love. Therefore, his gift is going to be the open hand of love. 
when he gives our daily bread, that daily bread will be in accord with a love that is limitless. Do you understand? He, he's not, what shall I say, he's not stingy. He's not tight-fisted. He's not mean. All that I would expect to hear from Satan. No, th this God is the generous. He's the good. He's the limitlessly kind. So I would expect the bread that I receive to be in accord with that in heaven and that's repeated as we've seen so father's in heaven and uh, the prayer becomes your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so this whole prayer really is saying in every aspect let heaven be in the earth and demonstrated in this now time space earth so the provision that I'm asking for would be in accord with or in line with heaven, not with earth. D does that make sense? It's in accord. It's in line with the love of the Father. And it's in accord with the way things work in heaven, not accord with the way things work on earth. And so on earth we're faced with problems. We're problems. And I am limited, I am dominated, I'm under the tyranny sometimes of my bank account. I'm under the dominion of an out-of-control government that spends all of us into bankruptcy. And so there's from coast to coast here in the United States, we have that dismal, dark, depressing, hopeless despair and stamped across the nation is recession. Well, can I say this without ranting at you, just talking to you, that we're in the world but we're not of it. Our Father in heaven, will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. I do not take our Father and reduce him, squeeze him, squash him into the limitations of this earth at any point. But specifically here, we do not squeeze God into the limitations of a United States recession. We don't squeeze him, limit him, to the way things are. that This whole prayer says the way things are are not the will of God. That's why we pray the prayer to bring about the way things they are in the heart of God in heaven. So I've got, I've got to, do you understand? I've got to go straight up out of my limitations here. I've got to go out of all the laws, the way things are, and the way things are going to be. I've got to get rid of that and just gaze upon my Father in heaven and give him thanks that we are dominated, we are guided, we're determined, we're identified by his love, not by anything on earth.
So his provision, our daily bread and all that goes with it, is part of our inheritance. Because it's our inheritance. You know what I mean, don't you? Where, where it says in Romans 8 that we... Have we ever read the Bible? It says, we, ordinary, common and garden believers, you and I, we are heirs of God. God has given himself to us, not in some Disneyland, never, never wonder world in the future, but here, now, in this earth, we are heirs of God. And if you didn't get that, he goes on to say, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs? That means that we have a call upon God as our Father exactly as Jesus does. That's the gospel, by the way. That's the gospel. So, this is quite a request, isn't it? It's growing by the minute. You see, this that we're talking about, this inheritance that we have, this right that has been given to us in Jesus, the right to pray this request, elsewhere in Scripture would be referred to as grace. Grace does not just mean undeserved favor. Of course, it means that. But with undeserved favor, there is the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit to bring that favor to pass. In fact, the word favor is another great Bible word, favor. Um, in Jesus Christ, we are graced or we are favored. Or another word would be you're blessed. I'll get to that in a minute. But what does that mean? You know, Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. And I could multiply those scriptures. What does it mean, the favor of God? The word favor, what does it mean? It means essentially that you are being treated with special treatment. You're favored. You're in a special class, and therefore you're favored. When I traveled around the world um, in years gone by, um, I, I stuck with uh, an airline, American Airlines. I, I was with them um, almost all my, my flying. And, and you know they give you the little card. And, and the last card that I had said on it that I had traveled two million miles with American Airlines. A and it was so interesting to me. Little things fascinate me. Um, I would go to the desk sometimes on a very crowded flight uh, and or even where they said there are no more seats and I just put that card down a and the minute the the person behind the desk saw that card everything changed she, the, the person was no longer looking in harassment and despair as to what they're going to do with all these people there was suddenly a broad smile suddenly seats were cleared and I 
And one time I asked the, the lady behind the desk, what, what, when you see that card and, and you look at the computer when you type in the number, and what, what's the computer tell you? Well, quite honestly, I won't tell you what she said, but in essence, it meant we're going to put out the red carpet, we're going to give you favor. You are going to have a direct pathway to a seat and to food and whatever. I was in a special grouping. And in that case, it was I'd traveled so many miles. But do you understand this? The favor of the Father. Please understand this. Jesus is, Jesus is the favor of the Father. He is the beloved Son in whom the Father is well pleased. The Father calls Jesus my elect, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. And you, believer, in whom the Spirit has come to dwell, you are in Christ. You're in the special class. You are in Christ and you are a joint heir. You are enjoying with him the favor of the Father. Love, divine love, treats you special. Not through any performance. I had to travel two million miles to get the eye of American Airlines. <clears throat> but to receive the favor of God, I do nothing but trust in Jesus. Favor. It means you're honored. It means you're approved by the artist of places. I mean, they don't have to be Christians. They don't know why they're doing it, actually. They just, they do. They give you favor. They, they are treating you with the love of God without even knowing the love of God. Favor. Someone has said it means the intentional bias toward. There's a bias toward you. Doors open to you. Special treatment. Seats open up. Favor. Well, now, th this verse assumes that. This is part of our inheritance and the grace, undeserved, underscore that, undeserved favor is part of this. And if you could, I know some of you are having a problem here. I mean, the church has taught us forever that you're no good and you have to get saved every week but if you understand the gospel understand what love means understand what it means to be in covenant union with God then indeed I can walk out of my house I can get out of my bed and know that this day I am graced I am favored I there is a shield of God's favor around me in order that through me his love might have greater access to the world. He gives me his love. He gives me his favor. And I find that this, give me this day daily bread, it comes into that. Because this, 
what can I say, this presence of God opening the way, this presence of God that gives you creativity, gives you insight, wisdom, gives you strength. That opens up opportunities which opens up ultimately the daily bread and everything else we've mentioned. In fact, to pray this prayer, one, if you understand where, where I'm coming from now, to pray this prayer, understanding what he's saying, then the person praying this knows their belovedness. And I know I'm coming from so much religion that was jammed down my throat when I was young, so, so much younger. Uh, the, the idea, you know, you stand before a group and, and you sing a song. And, and then when, when people applaud or they say, thank you, that was a blessing, you stand there. Oh, that wretched religious humility. It's not humility. It's the highest form of religious pride. Well, when you're, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. Well, it was you. I heard you. It was you. And you were blessed and you were favored and you were graced. You could reach notes. You, you could pour the very spirit of God into that song. You were favored. Why? To bless others. Now get used to it. Get used to it. Your beloved, get used to it. There is a difference between you and those that have not entered into their inheritance in Christ. Yes, there is a difference. You're in the world, but you're not of it. You're special. God's special. You have significance. You, you leave an imprint in your job. People know you've been in the building. They can tell it by the work you've done. They can tell it by the joy and the peace and the praise that's in your lips. You're somebody. All by this undeserved favor. You're somebody. You are the personal charge of Abba. He's caring for you. He's looking after you. Now, th th this has been here since the very beginning of existence. Right from Genesis 1. Just do a little thinking. Uh, let, let's run through the scripture very quickly. I mean, creation. You ever taken it seriously? I mean, ever gone back there and spent a couple of three weeks looking at Genesis 1 and letting the Spirit make it alive to you? Did, did, did you notice when he created, everything was in, I'll, I'll say it's silly, abundance. He says that the fish and the they, they swarmed, that's the word, they swarmed the ocean. And the birds filled the atmosphere. And it, it's still true today, I mean. When, when fish give birth, there's enough eggs there to feed half the ocean. And, and look at, I mean, in, in our backyard, the, the acorns, there's enough to produce a forest. Ne there's never, when, when he created, he set in motion a life that would always be giving, giving, giving in abundance, too much. I, I say to the oak trees in our backyard, stop it, 
We've got enough acorns now. Stop it. But then, let, let, let's stop for a minute in the light of this text at you. You. God, God's creation of you is absolutely mind-blowing. I, I think if I were an atheist, I think to study our, what do they call it, olfactory, the, the smell, whatever things in your nose and up into your brain, how, how you smell, and, and the taste buds. Have you ever, your tongue, what it can taste on the right-hand side, the left-hand side, the front, the back, it, it's a miracle of the ability to taste and to differentiate between taste and smelling, which then all becomes part of the taste process. I say, if I were an atheist and studied the tongue, I would know that that couldn't happen by chance. Couldn't. And why on earth would you have such a little palate of miracle in your mouth connected with the miracle of your ability to differentiate between I don't know how many smells? All for what? So you can taste food. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you don't go to a, a food station and put in the thing and you gas up on energy. No, God didn't make you like that. He gave you all of this exquisite, incredible, divine miracle of machinery in your mouth nose so you could sit down and you could smell the food and as you smell the food you begin to salivate and you're prepared see God did that I know you've been taught that that's of the devil probably you're not supposed to enjoy food oh no God gave you taste buds and he gave you smelling ability so that when you put food in your mouth, yes, it delights you. You have pleasure in it. And so give glory to your creator and fulfill that little tiny part of your existence. It is no surprise to me. Just by looking at creation and me and you in particular, the whole digestion system, God, it, he made you in such a fashion that eating and drinking would be a delight and a pleasure. Therefore, as our Creator Abba, it doesn't surprise me that he, he puts into the prayer. He gave us this request because He wants to provide and fulfill the creature He created. You, you move out of, of those early chapters of the Bible and you come into a world in the Bible where the Lord makes himself manifest at this food provision level do you remember Isaac there's not much him. he's a sort of quiet chap and, and the 
couple of three verses and you're really done with Isaac. But, but it says that there was a drought in the land. And here in Texas, we, we've been living in drought for I don't know how many years now. But it wouldn't be drought as in the near Middle East in Bible days. We still have ways of getting water. They didn't. If, if the water isn't there and they've dug their wells and some would die literally to keep their well because they're going to die without it anyway. And, and we're, we're talking when the, the ground turns to dust and the sun mercilessly blazes down in all the hours of the day. It was a drought. And it says that Isaac, who knew his covenant specialness to the creator, upholder of the universe, it says he planted his seed in a drought. He just moved aside the dust of the desert and put his seed in. That was crazy. I mean, there's no water, no chance of getting water. But also your seed... You get rid of that seed, you've got nothing to plant when the water does come. But he planted his seed in a drought because he trusted in God. And he had a magnificent harvest to the amazement of his neighbors who said, God is with you. Oh, yes. Do you, do you understand? Well, what's the manna in the wilderness? That was food. I mean, I, I hear sermons and they spiritualize all of this because they cannot connect with real life. Manna. Manna. It was food that was specifically prepared in the heavenly dimension. And so they never did find out exactly what it was. They could describe it. But the, when, when they looked at it, they, they said, what is it? And in Hebrew, what is it is manna. Manna means, what is it? They didn't know, but it was God's provision. And for 40 years, every morning of their life, they went and they gathered the manna. And one day when they were sick and tired of the same taste, and they wanted food and quail, and they were a long way from where quail would fly. But there was an, a wind from the heart of God, and he sent the quail blowing across the desert. And if you work it out, which I don't have time to go into it, but there must have been millions of quail that dropped out of the sky. And they had food upon food upon food. And then, of course, the blessing. Let, let me read to you very quickly the blessing. Have you ever meditated on Deuteronomy 28? Look, it says, All these blessings... And I've told you before, the word blessing means that you are empowered. It means that in the entirety of your being, you are empowered. You're in a, a clothed in the power of God to fulfill his purpose for you. 
And that includes all these physical things, all these blessings, all these empowerments shall come upon you, overtake you. Come upon you, overtake you. Now, those words in the rest of the Old Testament are used to describe an invading army pursuing you. They overtake you. Well, he says there's an army of God's blessings coming upon you, overtaking you. He said, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Doesn't matter where you live, these blessings are with you. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, produce of your ground, increase of your herds, increase of your cattle, offspring of your flocks. They were an agricultural community, and so all these blessings are linked to, to their crops and their cattle and so on. But it, it's linked to where you work. It's linked to the work of your hands. But then he says, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. The basket is where you collected the food. The kneading bowl is where you cooked it. He said, you shall be, you'll be special as you go to shop, as you bring it home to cook it. Blessed. It will be different for you. You shall be blessed when you come in, blessed when you shall go out. And so on and so on. In fact, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing in your storehouse. So you'll have enough and to spare in your storehouse. In all that you set your hand to, he will bless you. I say again, all of that is very physical. Psalm 23 picks up on that. And before you read Psalm 23... Remember where David was when he wrote it. A number of months ago, I gave a long series on Psalm 23, and we talked about it. That David was in the wilderness. He had a few people with him, but enough to have eaten all the food. And they are being pursued by Absalom's army. They're being hemmed in, and, and they're running out of all sustenance and David entered into that revelation of Psalm 23 and he says you are our shepherd which of course shepherds care and provide for the sheep and he goes on I, I shall not want okay that's what this request is stating you will not want and he goes on not only in peace at such a time but at the end, he's saying, you set before me a table, a feast. And in the presence of my enemies, they don't know what's happening here. I'm supposed to be starved out, but you prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. And then he ends it by saying that surely goodness and your loving kindness and I know our Bibles say follow, but the exact Hebrew there in these words from Deuteronomy 28, they shall pursue me, relentlessly pursue me, and overtake me all the days of my life. And of course, if you tie that in with the history back there in, in the book of Samuel, it says that right at that time, these desert chiefs decided they were going to help David, and they came. And 
they provided him with food for all of his people. God's into providing our food. Um, just one, one last one. In Second Corinthians, in chapter 9, in verse 11, and he's speaking here very specific. I'm sorry, verse 8. He's speaking here very specifically, number one of money, money that he's telling the Corinthians to generously send to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are going through a famine, which is something else we know very little about. No food, no food. So he is saying to the Corinthians, send them money. And so the chapter is about money with which people can buy food. And he tells the Corinthians, because he's trying to persuade them as believers, they are part of God's love that gives to others. And so he says to them, and to us, of course. And God is able to make all grace, it's a word we talked about a few minutes ago, abound, that means too much. That's when the coffee is spilled into the saucer. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency, in all things, remember he's speaking about money and possessions, may have an abundance for every good work. Or he is saying that the Lord will answer this prayer. He'll give you daily bread, but he'll give you daily bread in an abundance so that you may abound in being able to give the excess to others. That's why a person who does not give, you know those people who give a dollar in the offering and feel they've, they've jeopardized their existence. Um, no, I'm talking about Bible kind of giving, which is, according to the New Testament, we give according as or in line with that the Lord has blessed us. Um, well, where does that come from? It comes from this prayer. What, why is it that people are terrified to give? Because they live in fear that there'll not be enough tomorrow. They are governed by what the media, the news tells you about the state of the economy. And in line with the economy, we say that's how we will give. That's how generous we'll be. And if the economy's bad, our generosity dries up. But you see, if I know my father, my father has committed himself to being the one who gives us our daily bread, then I can leave tomorrow in his hands. And I know I can give today in light of his love, not in light of the economy. You understand me? We give in accord with the love of God toward us in these material ways, not in line with the way the economy is. Well, I, you see, it's all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Incidentally, if we'd have had time to go into this in detail, um, there was always work involved here. The, the part of, of God's giving to us, 
our daily bread is that he provides us the work, he provides us the creativity, the strength, the know-how, which provides work. However that may be, whether we work for an employer or we are the employee and the customers and so on, he's involved in all of that. Favor is involved in all of that. There's always God gives, but there's someone there that he's using, even if that person is not a believer, he uses them. And we, in turn, bless the one that he's used. You know, Elijah, remember Elijah, when there was such persecution against believers and against Elijah in particular, that he was instructed, go and hide in the brook Kerith, because there's water there, even though there's drying up of water and famine all over the land, but there's water at Kerith. And so he went there, and sure enough, there was water. But then it says that the ravens came every morning and every evening and dropped off meat. Now, really and truly, I don't quite know how that worked. I mean, ravens are birds, and they are carrion birds, and so therefore they would go for meat. But these ravens took meat from somewhere and they came on assignment and they dropped it off. I, I say the meat did not drop directly out of the sky. It was brought by ravens. He involves his whole creation sometimes. And then when that brook dried up and the Lord sends him to Zarephath, far up north in Syria, and when he goes there, you remember he comes to the widow of Zarephath and, and she says the things are so terrible that we've run out of money, we've run out of food. This is the, the last flour that I've got to make a cake for me and my son. It's the last oil. When I've cooked this um, tortilla, it's all over. And Elijah says, no way. You include me into that meal? And, and God is going to provide for us as long as this famine lasts. And, and so although there was never any more flour in the barrel, never any more oil, you couldn't stop. You kept, it was always enough, always enough. I worked it out once. That lady prepared over 3,000 meals for herself, her son, and Elijah over the period of the next two years. Amazing. But you see... It didn't drop out of heaven, you understand. It came through the widow, and she got from a barrel. Okay, that's where the miracle was, but that's how it happened. There's always somebody in there. Somebody's in there. I, I don't want to give you the impression, because, again, another side of our beloved believers, there's other types of chaps, and, and they come and they tell you, I'm living by faith. I don't go to work. I get up at noon, and I read my Bible a bit, and you're supposed to support me. And I always tell them, the Bible says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So go starve and get to be with Jesus quicker than you would normally. Uh, there's No, we, we do not support sluggards. We do not glorify laziness. Work was given to mankind before the fall. It's part of our being made in the image of God. We, we are not fully fulfilled as a human being if we do not work. And, and so it all ties together. It's all in this request. 
we, we thank God for work. If we don't have work, we pray this request. I, I, I don't know whether to say this. With the very little time I've got left, it, it could be a... Don't misunderstand me. There comes a time when we do need help from others directly because we don't have a job. But what I am horrified with here in the United States is dependence upon the government as normal. That is the most abnormal for a believer to be dependent upon a government so that you become clutched in the claws of a government. No, we're dependent upon our Father and we pray this prayer and we walk out with that rise of life within us that says we're favored, we're graced, we're blessed. I, I hope you hear what I say there. And could I say to those of you that are listening to me, and I, I speak, what, in Africa for sure, those of you in maybe the Far East, when, when I traveled, there were many, many in, in these countries, um, and they were dependent upon Europe and the USA. And I, I remember I was in a certain place in Africa, and, and after the meeting, the pastor with his elders came and he presented me a list of everything that he wanted to be sent to him from the U.S., and his um, qualification in his mind was, I, I'm a pastor here in Africa, so you send me that. And I said, how do you think I got all of those things? I, I have believed this request. I have believed that the Father calls upon me to request of him that he give to me. And I say, stop making the United States your God. Stop depending upon the United States and begin to pray that the Father will open up for you this abundance of provision. Well, I, do, do you have this? I, I hope you did. Um, the Jesus lived this way, always expecting the Father to provide the physical, material needs. Now that's a, I mean, isn't that so all through the scripture? See, the incarnation, you know, God became flesh in the womb of the virgin. What does that mean, basically? It means that God has forever joined us in our physicality, joined us in our creatureliness, joined us, and lived as part of his history in this world of food and drink and clothes and shoes and jobs. That's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus is heaven come to earth. And through him, what did he do? He spent most of his ministry healing the sick. That's very physical. He, he multiplied food. I'll say no more on that. He turned water to wine blessing sheer delight and pleasure of a wedding feast. What can I say? Stilling a storm? 
No, Jesus is the entrance of God into our physical material world. Bringing, in fact, all the laws of heaven now to be operated in the earth. And I'll finish on this because I've heard it so many times. People say, well, and they would have said it to me tonight, maybe you're saying it. All these illustrations you're using, you know, Isaac, Elijah, I could have gone on with Elisha and manna in the wilderness and the blessings, the, yeah, they came from Deuteronomy. And the people say, well, that was Old Testament, you say. That was Old Testament. God did stuff in the physical world in the Old Testament, but we live in the New Testament. The New Testament, we, we, we don't do that. It's now spiritual. Spiritual, whatever that means. And we, we, in, the, in the heavens, you see. God doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't heal people. He doesn't supply physical needs. He doesn't prepare meals for you. He doesn't put clothes on your back and shoes on. No, no, no. God doesn't do that anymore. We're in the New Testament. Have I got news for you? Well, I say it again. Jesus is the ultimate everything. All those things I've referenced in the Old Testament, they were just hints. They were just nudges. They were just saying, look what's coming. When Jesus came, the whole jolly lot burst upon us. But let me say this. The New Testament says that the new covenant is a better covenant. A better. Read Hebrews. It's better, 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 better. It's a better covenant than the old covenant. Can you imagine Peter on the day of Pentecost? He's introducing the new covenant now, you see. So he introduces the new covenant and he says, I've got some good news for you and I've got some bad news. The good news is the new covenant is here. Your sins are cleansed. You can walk with God and know God. That's the good news. The bad news is everything that you enjoyed under the old testament is over i'm sorry about that but god doesn't care about your eating and drinking and clothes anymore that's old testament stuff you can starve to death because you you've got this better covenant you see it's a spiritual covenant yeah he 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 doesn't care about where you sleep doesn't care about the kind of house you live in doesn't care about that doesn't care about food on your table that's all old testament stuff no that's ridiculous. I, I, I know some of you are just beginning. It's dawning on you that the gospel is about the totality of you immersed in the totality of the love of God to live out that love in this now time, space, earth. And you spent so many years of your life just waiting to die and go to heaven because that's all you thought the gospel meant. No. I mean, very seriously, I'm not being silly now. If you follow the thought that God's interest, God's desire, God's will, God's walk with us is in this up, upper, ten foot above the earth, spiritual realm, belongs to Bible study and prayer, and then we go... Do, do you mean that 
you're, you're walking with God and then you say, well, I, I've got to leave you for a minute to go and eat. And I know that's a miserable, earthly, physical thing, but, but I'll be back. You know, I, I've got to go and take a shower and wash this physical body, but I'll be back. Do, do you understand? I've got to go to a restaurant now. I know you're not into that, but I'll be back. No. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He lives in you. He's made flesh his home. And have you noticed, the, the, where is it you work out your faith in God? It's in all these little anxieties and worries and challenges and opportunities that come to you in this very area. Take out what you eat. Take out what you wear. Take out where you live. And there's very few anxieties in life left. Now, this that we're talking about is the arena in which God reveals himself. And I don't take time out from the will of God to eat. I don't take time out from the presence of God to go to a jolly nice restaurant. I don't take time out from God to go and select clothes. He's in the whole jolly lot. I am blessed going out. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed in the restaurant. I'm blessed in the clothes store. I'm blessed on my job and I'm given creative ideas as to how that job can work for the better. And I walk through among the people with the aura of the love of God flowing through me. It's all one of a piece. One of a piece. Hey, there's one thing and I'm done. But just one, I've got to say this. Jesus rose from the dead. The beginning of the new creation. Beyond our comprehension. A body that's never been seen in time or space or creation. A body that was dead and is alive again. And he's come now. The new Lord of the universe. What will be the first thing? The first words out of his mouth to his disciples. Do you have anything to eat? Has that ever sunk in? Read it. Luke chapter 24. Do you have anything to eat? I, I don't know what the woman felt like who went to the kitchen to get some leftovers from supper and brought it to him. It was a piece of bread and fish. And he sat there and he ate it in front of them. The first act of the resurrected Jesus. The very first thing he did in the new creation was to eat. Do the most creaturely thing. In fact, we're right on this request. Jesus, risen from the dead, sat and partook of daily bread. And when Peter summed up, see, we don't know what happened. There was 40 days after that before Jesus ascended into the invisible half of the universe. But in those 40 days, Peter summed it up in Acts chapter 10. He said, for 40 days we ate and we drank with him. Now, Peter, come on. Come on, Peter. The living Jesus, you lived with the one who rose from the dead. You lived with him, walked with him, sat with him for 40 days. 
Yeah, yeah. Couldn't you say, couldn't you say, in, in 40 days we, we studied the scriptures with him, we prayed with him, we, we ate and we drank. We ate and we drank, yeah. Case closed. Welcome to the new covenant where you as the favored, beloved child of the Father, united to Jesus, his chosen and beloved, he says to you, with wide open smile, waiting for you to ask, give us this day our daily bread. And now the blessing of this incredible God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, limitless, almighty love, bless you Bless you in your job. Bless you in finding a job. This day. Bless you in your eating and drinking. Bless you at the table. Bless you in your clothes. Bless you in your health. That you in your mortal body shall give glory to him. And that's the way it is. Amen.